to the Everyday Story Podcast. I'm Ben Armstrong. Joining me again today here is Dr. Jack Clem. How are you doing today? I'm doing really well, Ben. Looking forward to our conversation today. Yeah. So one of the things we've uh, remarked about, you know, in our conversations is, uh, you know, we're, we often both have pretty full plates uh, with regard to our responsibilities. We're both... Uh, in kind of Christian academics, you're on the teacher side of yeah. the table, and I'm still on the student side of the table, and so that that keeps us really busy sometimes with projects mm-hmm. and things. You know, you're teaching and working through things I'm reading through and working mm-hmm. on, and then in addition to that, you know, we uh, we're both part of a reading group with another friend of ours, and that that fosters lots of really good conversation and lots of really interesting things to discuss. Right. Um, and so today's episode is going to be um, dealing with some of the things that are really fresh in our minds, yes. yeah. uh, things we've been working through and discovering. And mm-hmm. um, we want to share some of that fruit, hopefully that will be helpful for you, the listener. And um, we, you know, really thankfully both of these things that we want to talk about today deal directly with the story of scripture yes. mm-hmm. and deal with how um, we think about, what it means to be Christian, what it means to find our place in God's story, to be responsible actors. Um, and so hopefully this is, this is, you know, content sensitive to our podcast, right, but right. then is also helpful relate it. as we share with things that, that, that God's doing in our own hearts. Um, uh, any thoughts? Yeah, no, that's uh, well said and good summary for, uh, for our listeners. And, and indeed, that's exactly what uh, life has been like for both of us. Um, you know, you're you're writing papers and I'm grading them. Yeah. <laughs> so thankfully, you're not grading my papers. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Thankfully. Uh, yeah, thankfully. Uh, a. There no. we go. <laughs> but uh, no, it's so it's been fun, and we've been. Uh, but in the classes that you're involved in, the conversations that we're involved in with um, our book study. And um, just the digging in we're doing with regard to better understanding this whole hermeneutic or this whole biblical theology of the story, uh, we're just, I feel like we're sort of drinking out of a fire hydrant, just learning so many wonderful things, really being stretched and shaped in a lot of different ways. And so um, that's exactly what we want to do. We just want to share um, sort of the overflow of what's going on in our study. And uh, then, the, you know, for you as the listener or the audience, uh, these are the kinds of things that are going to shape the episodes to come. So uh, all these things that we'll just talk about here in maybe a, a short kind of a brief way, um, we're going to develop in some significant ways. And, and we've got a, a good schedule of podcasts for season three that we're excited about uh, recording and bringing to you. And then, of course, on top of um, life in the classroom, no matter what side of the desk we happen to be on, uh, <laughs> we do have uh, some important women in our lives, right? We've mm. got uh, our wives, family, and, uh, and then, of course, the weather is just really beautiful right now for outdoor sort of living and activity. And uh, so, um, and of course, life is just pretty much the same for a lot of um, everyone at this time. Mm. So I think... Uh one of the things that I've really enjoyed is getting to read uh, different books with you and one of our other friends. Um, and the one of the books we're going through right now is a book by Dane Ortland. 
Mm-hmm. It's called Gentle and Lowly. I don't know about you. I've really enjoyed reading this book so oh, far. Yeah. Um, really short chapters. Really an a, a accessible read. It's oh, yeah. not, yeah. you know, for the academic. It's not for any of that. I mean, it's very applicable, but it's very. Uh, it's an encouraging, accessible read. And um, when I first heard of the book, I was like, okay, it's kind of interesting. I wonder what yeah. it's about. Like, I wonder where he's going. And um, he bases really the whole premise of his book on Matthew eleven twenty eight through thirty. And uh, those verses are, are really, you know, famous verses. You might, I'm sure you're familiar with them. It's, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And he, so he bases his whole book off of that, those three verses. Mm-hmm. And in particular, uh, you know, Spurgeon makes the observation that out of all four gospels, this is the only place where Jesus tells us about his own heart. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is what Jesus is in his like innermost being. Right. Is the only time we get kind of that statement. The right. rest of the gospels are teaching, his actions, his interactions with other people. This is really the only time where Jesus says, I am this, and it's talking about his very nature. Yeah. It's yeah. kind of an interesting claim. It is. Uh, well, you know, when we were... Um, opening up our first sort of conversation after we read, I remember uh, being around the table with you and Andrew, and uh, I just remember you sort of pushing back and say like, this is a game changer. And that sort of caught me. And it, you know, it even, it was just funny the way you said that, how you said that just like caused me to like, Ooh, like, am I, am I missing something here? You know, because mm-hmm. your, your reaction was so transparent and so sincere. But since we've talked, uh, it really is a game changer, isn't it? Hmm. Yeah. So he he makes the assertion that like, if you are pressed to say one thing about Jesus, this should be the thing you say: that Jesus is gentle and lowly. And basically, what that means is he's accessible, and he is someone who is working towards pushing into pursuing brokenness, hurt you know, the fall and he's seeking to restore that. Like mm-hmm. that's who Jesus is by his nature. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he makes, you know, I don't want to just read his book, but it's so, so good. Um, he pushes back on how, you know, we typically think of Jesus as, uh, you know, someone, you know, maybe like a little boy who's like reaching a slug for the first time. Mm-hmm. He used this illustration. He's, you know, your face is all screwed up, you know, kind of <laughs> cautiously extending that arm. And then, you know, you, you kind of cry out in disgust when you actually touch it and you're like instantly dr- draw your arm back. Like, ugh, right, like, right. Ugh. I guess somehow, you know, he points out that's how we sometimes think about Jesus. Right. Reaching us. Right. Kind of touching down in disgust. Like, uh, yeah. all right, yeah, I'm yeah. done with that. Uh, and he just points out that Jesus' heart here is not that way. Right. Like Jesus is reaching down and it's his inclination right. to press in and to heal us and to not run away. It's actually what he wants to do. And that's really the game changer when we think about, you know, do we think about Christ in that way? Do we think about him um, from that sort of vantage point that in my brokenness, he's he's making his way toward me rather than standing aloof from me, hmm. you know? And so that just brings alive all of those statements that um, we're so familiar with. We, re- we rehearse when we're in moments of fear or anxiety. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Well, this really brings depth and color and texture to that that promise that I'll never leave you nor, nor 
ever forsake you. So I'm, you know, I'm trying to process, like, okay, how does the story of Scripture fit into all this? You know, we've talked about from the very garden when when God actually pursues Adam and Eve. He seeks them. He calls after them. Uh, Ortland points out that the cumulative testimony of the four Gospels is that when Jesus Christ sees the fallenness of the world all about him, his deepest impulse, his most natural instinct is to move toward that sin and suffering, not away from it. Right. As I'm, I'm reading this, I'm thinking... <laughs> This makes sense. Right. Like from the start, God has been pursuing creation that's rebelled against him. He's picked out Noah. He's picked Abraham. He's picked all of these men. He's he's built a nation of people that will love him and know him and serve him and care. Mm-hmm. And and he's pursued them when they failed time and time and time and time again. And so when I when I open the gospels, my traditional understanding of what Jesus came to do is he came to live a life that would fulfill the law perfectly. And then he would die on the cross and he would rise from the dead. And now he's in heaven mm-hmm. and he intercedes for me, but it's kind of in like a separated fat. You know, right. He's up in heaven. Like I don't really right. feel right. what that looks like. I don't really sense that. Right. Um, and that's just kind of what I understood. Like, okay, I'm going to heaven one day. And, you know, Ortland is, is kind of pushing for an understanding of the gospel that is, is making sense with the story, but it's kind of blowing my conceptions of what the gospel yeah. actually is in really helpful ways. Right. And we think of a king or we think of, a, of a, you know, the primary leader of any country, government, as one who, um, you know, when there is trouble, he sends in his military. He sends in the the reinforcements. He sends his soldiers to take care, or he sends his ambassadors. But what Ortland is really challenging us to see and enjoy more deeply than ever before is this whole idea that he comes himself, that Jesus comes himself to, you know, with open arms to minister to that brokenness. And he's not repulsed by it in any way. So no matter what we do, no matter how broken we are or how broken we are becoming and bring that to Christ. It's like, great, you know, no problem. Yeah. He, he has a way of, uh, or has a way of explaining Jesus's life by saying Jesus walked the earth, rehumanizing the dehumanized and cleansing the unclean. Mm-hmm. He talks about how our traditional understanding of miracles is that they prove the deity of Christ, which they do. But in a lot of ways, what Jesus is doing is he's restoring humanity back to how it was cre- intended mm-hmm. to be. Mm-hmm. So his miracles are often reversing the effects of the fall. It's often bringing back order to the chaos that sin has brought and to the dysfunction that sin has brought. He's cleansing what's unclean. And, right. you know, others have pointed out, you know, when when Jesus reaches out and touches something unclean, in the Old Testament, in the previous sections of the story, whatever touched uncleanliness became unclean. And when Jesus reaches down and touches something that's unclean, he doesn't become unclean. It becomes clean. Yeah. yeah. And and so, you know, I'm just reading all of this and his encouragement, Ortland's encouragement is that, you know, the same Christ who wept at the tomb of Lazarus weeps with us in our lonely despair. The same one who reached down and touched lepers puts his arm around us today when we feel misunderstood and sidelined. The Jesus who reached out and cleansed messy sinners reaches into our souls and answers our half-hearted plea for mercy with the mighty, invincible cleansing of one who cannot bear to do otherwise. Mm-hmm. Is, That's rich. I'm reading this yeah. and I'm thinking like, wow, like I've never thought I've never understood the gospel in these kinds of terms. He just goes on and it's just a really encouraging book. And I'm thinking through, okay, if 
if the essence of Jesus' heart is someone who is gentle and lowly, someone who is um, willing and able and running to identify with us in order that he might heal us. Mm-hmm. That changes a lot. It does, yeah. It changes how I think about my relationship with God instead of, mm-hmm. um, you know, one who I have to earn my way back to God right, when I right. sin or when I'm separated right. from Him. Like Jesus is there; He He's with right. me. Right. He He runs to me. Uh, anyway, there's just been so many different things I'm thinking through. Wow, this this affects a lot. This is this affects how I think about sanctification. This yes. affects how I think about the church. Mm-hmm. How I think about community. Mm-hmm. Um, if this and I, I'm this truly is God's heart. If this is God's right. heart, gentle and lowly towards people. Then what am I called to be as His child? Right. As an agent of His reconciliation, right. I'm called to be gentle and lowly with people. Right. Right. Yeah. That affects parenting. That affects uh, the way that we handle offenses. You know, are we modeling? Can we model by God's grace this kind of heart of Christ in those moments when we've been offended, we've been wronged? Uh, when things are broken around us, relationships are so broken, can we bring this kind of gospel freshness into that relationship and into that moment with this kind of gentle, lowly response? And of course, I think Ortland does a great job. He doesn't he doesn't um, compromise, uh, you know, the the core doctrines of sin, repentance. Mm. There's none of that. You don't get any of that. There's mm. no question about that at all. But I think I think what he's doing for us is just really opening the heart of Christ in such a way that we've never seen it before, or we haven't thought much about it. We've read it, we understand it, but, but you know, we haven't thought long and hard about um, John three sixteen for God so loved. You know, we, we hear that, but we don't unpack it in meaningful ways like Ortland is doing for us here through that approach of Matthew 11. Mm. So it's uh, like this, the study has just been kind of blowing my mind for <laughs> how I think about life. And, yeah, yeah. you know, I think, um, you know, in, in, a, in a moment of honesty, you know, I've, I've always struggled with, uh, as someone who, uh, I, I don't have gifts, uh, and inclinations and leanings towards empathy or compassion or to, um, you know, I, if I had a choice, uh, relationships aren't something that I naturally want or I'm good at building. That's just my personality. And I, you know, I'm wanting the gospel to change that. And so I've always struggled with, you know, what does it look like to relate to God? Mm -hmm. What does that look like? And, you know, honestly, I've always struggled with like, is that something I honestly like want? Like, Mm -hmm. does that seem like something that's inviting to me? Like, is the gospel that I've heard so much and grown up around and studied, I have a an undergraduate degree in it. I'm working through a seminary degree in it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what does that actually look like? Is that appealing? Um, like what kind of God am I drawing near to? Mm-hmm. And, uh, what does that actually look like? And, um, reading this book has just been incredibly encouraging to my soul mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. read about who this savior, who this hero of the story actually is. Yeah, It's like, I want to draw near to that guy. Right. Right. I, I want that, I want to know that person. Right. Um, and, and then, of course, you, you want to imitate that person. You want to model that person in the relationships. You know, we want to image, in a sense. Maybe we've often talked about imaging God as creator and redeemer. But isn't this a beautiful picture, a lovely way of imaging God in our relationships with one another in this kind of gentle, lowly model of Christ? Hmm. Uh like another one of my favorite quotes. Uh, he says, if you are in Christ, you have a friend who in your sorrow will never lob down a pep talk from heaven. 
He cannot bear to hold himself at a distance. Nothing can hold him back. His heart is too bound up with yours. Um, and it's just like, wow, like that, yeah. that's refreshing. And I think that is the essence of the good news that we've talked about from the beginning of the story to the end of the story, um, this understanding of who Jesus is and what he does and yeah. the restoration he brings to uh, his children and the, the restoration he offers to the world is so compelling. Right. And so I'm, my heart is being refreshed and changed and transformed as I'm thinking through um, the implications of what it means that that Jesus is in his nature someone who's gentle and lowly, right. someone who is coming to heal brokenness and is not repulsed by it. He's actually, uh, as Ortland says, irresistibly drawn to it. Right. That's his inclination. Right. Like there's hurt, I'm there. Mm-hmm. There's pain, I'm I'm there. Right. Um, and that like that is just so refreshing it for is. my soul. Yeah. Uh, and it's changing the way I think about it a lot. So this this understanding of gospel and um you know, I've I've been doing some other reading and some other books that we've mentioned before in the podcast about uh, the the gospels being good news of of a kingdom, and I'm entering into that kingdom, and so like this is my king, and this is the hero of the story, and mm. this is good news. That's that's what struck me recently is like this kind of savior is great news. Yes, like when, yes. when I tell my neighbor what I believe, um, I'm not just trying to scare them about what hell will be like right. so they trust in Jesus. Right, right. Like the alternative is bad. So, you know, trust in Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, like this is something, this is someone who uh, is presenting uh, a comprehensive restoration right, right. of what's wrong in their lives and what they've experienced as brokenness because of their own sin, sin that's happened to them, um, our nature, mm-hmm. and Christ comes in and, and offers to heal all of that. Yeah, yeah, no, and, that's very... And to be with us. Right. I mean, so I've just been refreshed deeply. Yeah, that's awesome. Deeply. Yeah, no, and, and likewise, I mean, I'm enjoying how it's working in you, and that encourages me to want to dig in more, pay more attention to um, just the way the, that uh, Ortland is unfolding it. Uh, one of the quotes that I uh, shared with my wife today, as a matter of fact, is uh, Ortland says, for those united to him... The heart of Jesus is not a rental. It is your new permanent residence. You are not a tenant. You are a child. His heart is not a ticking time bomb. His heart is the green pastures and still waters of endless reassurances of his presence and comfort. Whatever our present spiritual accomplishments, it is who he is. That's just so compelling. He does a great job. His method, he's working with uh, many of the Puritans, primarily Thomas Goodwin. So I love how he describes how the Puritans would take a text like Matthew 11. And as he said, they just ring it out and they write volumes on it. And of course, that's not uh, uh, too um, in vogue these days. You know, we want to be a little bit more condensed. You know, um, the Puritans probably wouldn't have done well with Instagram or Twitter or podcasting. Or podcasting, yes, yeah, they would want uh, podcasts would be hours long rather yeah. than yeah. than just uh, a shorter period of time. But anyway, the uh, uh, his method is just solid. His approach is historic, and it takes us back to the great um, writings and the works of uh, those who have gone before us and on whose shoulders we stand. And uh, but his his point, I think, is so timely, particularly as we live through 2020, which has just been a crazy 
year of pandemic, many uncertainties, lots of anxiety, people in stress. And what more beautiful message do they need to hear than this, that there is a gentle and lowly Savior with his arms wide open waiting for them. And if you come uh, in repentance, he's ready. He's willing. He's, and then when you're in Christ, you're part of his body. Mm-hmm. And Christ longs for his body to be healed. Yes. And so, I mean, it's just so many more, so much more I could say. Uh, but part of part of listening to this podcast is listening to the musings of a student. And uh, <laughs> I definitely don't know it all. Yes. I don't know very much. And so yeah. as I process what I'm learning, uh, hopefully you're encouraged and, um, you know, provoked to, to think about mm-hmm. w- what the gospel is and how is it good news. And, uh, anyway, yeah. but you've been, you've been doing some work recently. You're teaching some classes and mm-hmm. you've made some discoveries about, uh, you know, what you're teaching and how it should tie into the story of scripture. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. I've been, uh, working on, um, the class I'm working on is spiritual formation and discipleship. And, uh, just as we were chatting about some of the things that, uh, I've been enjoying and uncovering and discovering in this particular class, even we're talking about, well, you know, how would we talk about spiritual formation and discipleship in the context of the story? And maybe, you know, maybe, maybe terms like um, being a follower, you know, disciples are those that follow, maybe being an actor or actors in the story uh, might be, you know, good terminology to use within this sort of context. But, um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm seeing how spiritual formation, discipleship are inseparably linked. And, um, you know, for me, it's always like having a good definition because I feel like whatever I'm studying really turns on a good definition. Hmm. And um, uh, one of the textbooks I've been using is um, one by Hull on the complete book of discipleship on being and making followers of Christ. And with regard to spiritual formation, uh, or, you know, Christian formation, I know spiritual formation has a little bit of a negative sort of a term. Uh, historically, but I think if we use it in in a um, in a uh, wholesome way here, Hull says spiritual formation is a process by which individuals who have received new life take on the character of Jesus Christ by a combination of effort and grace. And so, you know, this fits beautifully with what we're reading in Ortland's book, Gentle and Lowly. That whole idea of taking on the character of Christ. And of course, taking on that heart of Christ as much as humanly as possible and modeling that and reflecting that in our relationships. And then he goes on to say the disciple positions himself uh, to follow Jesus. The actual process of reforming or spiritual formation involves both God's grace and the individual's effort. And of course, that's that's a theological conversation right there, effort and grace monergism, synergism, and so on. But the other thing that I've been really um, excited about, because I've been provoked to think about the Trinitarian work or the work of the triune God, be more attentive to that by my good friend, um, Dan Ebert, but uh, just pay attention to the the presence of the, the work of the involvement of the triune God. And uh, so as I thought about that, I started thinking, well, like, where do I see the work of the triune God in spiritual formation and discipleship? And of course, you know, if you start asking yourself that question and you just read the common text 
Uh, you think about Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Uh, the Great Commission is obviously laden with um, uh, Trinitarian kind of emphasis. But I was um, recently working a little bit with um, Hebrews 10 and First um, Peter 1 and 2. And if you uh, take a look at First um, Peter chapter um, 1, uh, verses 1 and 2, you see very clearly the, the work of the triune God. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the province of Pontus and Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God. Okay, so you see the work of God the Father there. Through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Hmm. So, you know, it's just like sort of in a nice, compact way. It's all right there. It's all right there, you know. So what's happening and uh, what's what's my role in the story? Well, my role in the story is to be a follower of Jesus who is who has been chosen, who's um, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, uh, who's benefiting from and experiencing the sanctifying work of the Spirit, and uh, my my marching orders are to be obedient to Jesus Christ. So I just love seeing texts like that that highlight the work of the triune God in uh, the work of of sanctification or in the work of discipleship and spiritual formation. The other one is in Hebrews chapter ten, and um, you know uh, Hebrews ten, of course. Is, is a great uh, passage, or I mean, the text of Hebrews is just a wonderful text. But what I r- really like is just that emphasis in uh, Hebrews 10, where uh, the writer makes the point that we have been we have been sanctified, and we are being sanctified in that same context. So I just love how that comes together. The Spirit's work, here's Christ, here's the Spirit, here's Christ doing the Father's will. So again, that sort of Trinitarian engagement in atonement, in sanctification, and in um, and really, really establishing our identity, you know, in terms of who we are and uh, what we do. So, uh, you know, and then of course, al- along with this, there are all the typical sort of theological terms we, we like to talk about in spiritual formation and discipleship of regeneration and justification, that kind of thing. Uh, but the other thing that I've just been sort of trying to force myself to think about more carefully is that realizing that discipleship or following <laughs> and being an actor doesn't happen in a vacuum, but these works take place within the context of the overarching story of Scripture. So the story of Scripture from creation to new creation really defines our identity, our missional purpose, and offers us, the disciple or the follower or the actor, as well as us in the context of our community of disciples, that is the church, hope during seasons and episodes of celebration as well as painful disorientation. So just thinking about um, how the meta-narrative, the six acts of the drama of Scripture that we've been playing with and trying to describe in detail um, really does shape the work of discipleship. And I I just haven't seen too much um, about that, and this is something we want to tease out. This would be a great future episode for us to just talk about how would we just conceive of 
the work of discipleship, being a follower, being an actor in the story um, from that perspective. Because mm, we've talked about how, like from the beginning, you know, God gave a mission to Adam and Eve, gave a mission to Israel. Uh, like, you know, God's mission has always had people that fulfill it. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, Israel was a light to the nations. They were to, you know, be a priesthood. You know, we've, we've talked about all that before. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, when disciples, you know, the discipleship language starts in the New Testament, you know, we might get the idea, well, like that's like new, mm -hmm. like that, that we would follow God or Jesus. That's kind of new language. Right. But really it's, it's a new word to describe something that's kind of always happened right. where people are to, are, you know, called out by God and they're given a task, they're given right. a mission. Right. And we call that discipleship, sanctification, being a responsible right. actor. Right. Um, and so, you know, we're, we're really doing this together, trying to, to say, okay, like, we've been called out of darkness by this glorious savior, this hero of the story mm -hmm. who has brought us into light. And like, now we get to, we get to live that out. Right. Well, what does that look like? Right. Well, we need help doing that. We need, uh, we need grace. We need to be known. We need mm -hmm. people to be able to see our lives and say, Hey, um, that doesn't look like you're acting in God's story. Right. It looks right. like you're acting in your own story. Mm-hmm looks like you're believing some lies there. Like that's, that's how we're learning. We're growing together. Right. We're praying for each other. All of those things that we mm -hmm. think of as discipleship and training and spiritual formation. Um, it's really us learning how to live in God's story better. Right. Right. And we all need help doing that. Right. Um, but yeah, you don't hear that language much. Mm -hmm. We don't, we don't see discipleship tied into the story of scripture, or, right. um, you know, in, in, informed by the end of our story or informed yeah. by the beginning of our story. We don't usually hear a lot of that language. So right. I'm really excited to um, to learn more with you as you yes. keep yeah. digging in it, as we figure out, okay, like how should the story of scripture affect how we think about what we do week to week with other believers? Right. Right. How should that inform it? So I'm, I'm excited about that. Yeah, uh, the, um, uh, <clears throat> the thing that's exciting for me as well is to just think about how you know, these themes or this particular emphasis that we're picking up either in reading a text like gentle and lowly or thinking through some concepts that have been so like, uh, familiar to us for years, you know, disciples and disciple making and discipleship. And then, um, thinking about how, uh, really these are themes or concepts that run from the old Testament into the new Testament. You know, we, we may not call them that in the old Testament, but even just thinking about the, the description in the heart of God, as we are reading in gentle and lowly, you know, I, I, my mind just keeps going back to Exodus 34 when, um, you know, the Lord passes before Moses and there the Lord is identifying himself to Moses. And, you know, the first word is I'm compassionate, you know, I'm gracious. Um, you know, and, and of course, that's sort of counterintuitive to what we understand from the Old Testament context. And then just thinking about the relationships that that Moses had with Joshua or Joshua had, you know, with uh, those, you know, Caleb and those around him and in the context of the Israelite community and, you know, how they were provoking one another to follow hard after the king. Hmm. Yeah, there's just man, there's so much more to talk about. So yes, uh, as we've as we've been pushing in our uh, other areas of learning and responsibility, these are some things that have just really stuck out to us. And um, 
So I'm really glad we got to yeah, get together is, and yeah. share. Hopefully, hopefully this is encouraging to you as we think about the big story of scripture, how to live well in it. Hopefully these are things that can provoke you to start thinking about how, right. how we live as responsible actors, how we think about the gospel, how we think about um, what it means to be uh, God's people right now on earth, living right. in 2020, right. in the middle of all the stuff that's going on. Right. Um, hopefully we're starting to give you some thoughts there. Yeah, and just see that dimension of God's heart. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think that's probably the, the sweetest takeaway that we hope that uh, you'll give thought to. And and take a look at Ortland's book. It's a wonderful read. Uh, you'll enjoy it. I've been trying to read just a chapter each morning, just kind of reflect on it, and it's been so helpful. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Everyday Story Podcast. If you like what you're hearing and you haven't yet subscribed to our podcast, help us out and click that little subscribe button wherever you find your podcasts. Graphics for the Everyday Story were designed by Virginia Stroud, and original music for this podcast was created by John Horton. If you are on Instagram, give us a follow at the Everyday Story.